Hello, everyone. Um, I hope um, everyone is well today. And welcome to today's webinar, Loyalty and Artificial Intelligence. Um, I'm Anastasia Levashova, and this roundtable is organized by Global Loyalty Organization. And it's first of many webinars that will be hosted by GLO this year. The topics will cover predominantly loyalty and aspects of loyalty, such as loyalty and inflation, um, loyalties, new technologies and solutions, and others. Um, two words about GLO. Um, the organization was launched this January, and it is a global independent network for loyalty, rewards professional, and customer engagement specialists and companies involved in the solutions. The vision is to bring together experts, companies, and solutions across multiple industries, aviation, airlines, hospitality, retail, uh, telecoms, um, and few others. Uh, today, uh, the expert table will be on loyalty and AI, uh, and it is my pleasure to introduce our experts. Ricardo Pilon, Chairman of Pomona Advisors. Anthony Winteiser, Chief Product Officer of Cognitive Corporation. And Charles Ehert, CEO of Currency Alliance. Um, two words on housekeeping. Uh, the recorded version of this roundtable will be available on GLO website. Uh, and where uh, you can access 24-7 global loyalty and customer engagement news. Um, the webinar is planned to run 60 minutes with a Q&A in the end, and we would love to have your questions and to answer them. Please just post them through the chat button in the bottom of the screen. With this, um, let me pass to Chuck Ehert, CEO of Currency Alliance, to introduce himself and to start the discussion. Well, thank you, Anastasia. So again, my name's Chuck Errett, and I'm the founder and CEO of Currency Alliance. Um, Currency Alliance was created about seven years ago, uh, which operates a global platform for brands to connect with each other in order to issue, redeem, or exchange loyalty points. And we work with large banks, many airlines, hotel groups, rent-a-car companies, retailers, telcos. And as a professional, I've been fascinated by artificial intelligence for more than 20 years. And I've actually been frustrated by artificial intelligence for most of those 20 years because there was so much promise in the technology, but it was really difficult you know, to get it working or at least to get it working in a, a way that a non-data scientist could you know, pursue different use cases. And so anyway, about three months ago, I published this article, which shown, is shown on the screen right now, called AI and Loyalty Marketing and Loyalty Programs. And that led to a conversation with Anastasia and Dilek at the Global Loyalty Organization about putting on a possible webinar. And then we found a couple real industry experts to contribute to today's content. So that's a little bit about me. Uh, Anthony, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Thanks, Chuck. Uh, good morning to everyone in the US. Good afternoon to everyone in EMEA. Good evening to those in, in APAC. Um, so my name is Anthony Windeiser, Chief Product Officer at Cognitive Corporation. Cognitive is a loyalty technology uh, and solution provider to enterprise brands worldwide. And in, in that capacity, 
my job is to lead the development of artificial intelligence and machine learning applications uh, within the, the remit of our product and platform roadmap. In, in terms of my, my broader expertise, I was previously Chief Data Officer at Cognitive, where my focus was on harnessing the power of first, second, and third party data sets in client applications, which is a key ingredient to doing artificial intelligence well, you know, to Chuck's point about frustrations. Most of the times where AI fails, it's not really the AI, it's the data that's going into the AI. Um, prior to that, I worked for a company called Antuit.ai, where I was a product and commercial leader uh, for AI and ML solutions as part of our as part of our SaaS platform. And, and previous to that, I, I led uh, a number of initiatives at companies such as Nielsen and Nielsen Catalina Solutions in the areas of new data applications, big data activation, as as well as attribution. So happy to be here. Thanks, Chuck. Yeah, Anthony, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much. And Ricardo, um, Ricardo Pilan is our other expert. It looks like he might be having a little trouble with the um, video camera, but anyway, Ricardo, could you spend a couple minutes introducing yourself? Sure, thanks, uh, Chuck, and apologies for the camera. I did start out my laptop uh, three times. I don't know what's going on, but at least I'll have the benefit of uh, appearing much younger uh, based on the picture that was shown than I uh, than I actually am. <laughs> But anyway, so I'm uh, I'm Ricardo Pilon. I'm based in Montreal. Uh, I'm a former airline executive. Uh, worked with many airlines uh, at the very beginning. I worked for KPMG, uh, but also worked for Air Transat and, and spent many years working for airlines like Air New Zealand, uh, Emirates, Etihad, uh, Qatar, and Singapore Airlines. Uh, but often in the capacity as a uh, specialist advisor. Uh, so I'm active today as an independent advisor and an investor. I work with airlines, airline manufacturers and vendors and also fintech. And what I specialize in is in what I call creative innovation. And what it means for me is that I specialize in the triangle between strategic business and AI, organizational design and organizational psychology. So most of my work, or in most of my work, I help organizations and vendors in their strategic uh, roadmaps. And uh, I think that's that's the short version, Chuck. Hey, well, Ricardo, thank you very much. And on screen right now, we see the cover art for a new book that's coming out in a few months, which you wrote. And it basically talks about artificial intelligence and commercial aviation. And there's one chapter on loyalty marketing in particular, uh, but then I think 25 or 30 other chapters on other aspects of airline, you know, operations. What are the common themes, Ricardo, in terms of AI applications in the commercial aviation space? Sure. Um, so just a, just a brief uh, background is that um, when I got into AI about five years ago, I started looking at opportunities to, to modernize some of the traditional uh, specialist fields that I worked in, such as pricing and revenue management, but I uncovered many others. And uh, so when it comes to uh, the common themes, uh, when I first started up uh, the, this book on AI and I studied all the functional areas and airlines, I did find um, some common themes, but I also found new ones. So first of all, AI in some shape or form is used for efficiency, effectiveness, but also responsiveness gains, especially in the real-time world. And what it means is that there are three common drivers of AI 
which are either one of the, the three followings. It's used for, so in the first place, it's used to obtain deeper insights using electronic information, so what we call data, to better predict outcomes. Secondly, AI is used to automate repetitive actions with or without those insights, those new insights. And in the third place, different combinations of AI are really all about solving more complex problems in real time. So deeper insights are really about establishing links and relationships between events that humans may have missed, but could also be doing those that we are aware of much, much faster than a human could. So it's all about saving costs, saving time, freeing up time or people's time to do other value-added tasks, but also generate incremental benefits with the analytics and essentially also about becoming much more agile in very turbulent or real-time changing uh, contexts. Now, I mentioned that there are three common themes of the deep insights, the predictability and problem solving, but I also saw two categories of application opportunities that reappeared in each of those functions that I was uh, updating. So uh, if you look closer at how functions actually relate to other functions and evolve, you'll find new opportunities. So particularly if you take an airline by looking at network, aircraft assignment uh, or product and loyalty, but even all the way up to airport slot request processes can essentially be updated with and, and linked with this technology in real time. So in those two categories, I refer to them as local and enterprise level, you see many new opportunities uh, for, for companies. So a local application is really where we use predictive analytics within, uh, well, let's say loyalty itself, like the evolution of earn and burn for marketing steering purposes. But if you look at a company or company-wide or what I call the enterprise level, it's there where you can use loyalty's predictive insights to improve another related function within an airline or hotel or, or any hospitality business, like, for instance, revenue management, which I believe we'll, we'll touch on as well. So these enterprise allocations are even more promising because we can streamline silos and align them along overall objectives that are expressed differently and holistically like customer satisfaction and service. So this is what I call a goal-centric use of, of AI. But I think you, you were also hinting at where to find benefits. And in short, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more during this, this session, in short is anywhere where I see paper, there's an opportunity anywhere where I see information handovers between people or between departments, I see many opportunities. Anywhere there is repetition and routine tasks where it involves similar inputs and desired outcomes, there are opportunities for AI. And also, uh, uh, lastly, anywhere where something complex needs to be solved in real time, uh, for example, like in kiosk, is where there are opportunities for AI. But I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on some of these things uh, further on, John. Okay. Well, Ricardo, I think, you know, in the newspapers, there are typically these, you know, stories about how AI is going to replace human workers. And the, so I like the way that you describe these opportunities because 
it basically is getting rid of boring work or work that maybe humans don't have the capacity to do the analysis, but humans would have the capacity to make decisions based on accurate and valid data. Um, so anyway, it looks like there are lots of applications, you know, sort of across the board. Um, Anthony, in your case, you've been working in with data science or in this area of data science for more than 15 years. And as we both hinted at at the beginning, you know, it appears like AI has evolved much more in the last 15, in the last year than during the previous, you know, 15 or 20 years. Um, but from your experience, you know, what has changed in the last year that's making it more accessible um, for loyalty use cases? Over the last year is really when when we're talking about generative AI. So generative AI really is a, a set of algorithms that can create new content. And, and I think the most popular examples, which everyone is probably familiar with, uh, at least as of today, is you know Chat GPT. Right. So Chat GPT, it's a generative pre-trained transformer. That's what GPT stands for. And and it's essentially a chatbot um, running off a family of of LLMs, which are large language models. And so those are the algorithms that drive the capabilities. And people are really impressed with with something like ChatGPT because you can go in it and you can ask a very simple question, a complex question, a logical question, or a silly question, and it'll it'll come back with uh, a an answer that's that's not scripted it's entirely generated in real time so going back to ricardo's example about using ai to uh you know solve complex problems in real time chat gpt is is a great example of that and the answers that it provides you you know they sound human and and, and they're very thoughtful so generative ai in 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 the text field or the chatbot field i think is one exciting area with chat gpt the the parallel to that is uh, evolution in deep learning models that drive a lot of the visual content creation that we've been seeing over the last year um, and beyond. So when we think of algorithms such as Dolly, Dolly 2, Stable Diffusion, which are creating a lot of content based on simple text descriptors, you're seeing, you're seeing the power and access increase in a way that I think is a lot more tangible than, than what people have been able to experience in the past where they typically had to you know, write their own algorithms and not really had a, a friendly user interface to work with. Um, so I'd like to talk about both of those examples in a little bit more detail. If we're looking at something like ChatGPT, which I'll classify as generative AI for customer service, I think that's really where there's a loyalty application uh, today. ChatGPT, probably a lot of people uh, on the webinar have, have tried it. It was the first application to get a million users in six days. It has over 100 million active monthly users after just two months in, in service. And so the adoption has been incredible. So I think it's an, an example of AI being made accessible and providing a lot of value uh, to, to a large, a large group of, of users. And in loyalty context, the opportunity is in harnessing that in the context of a chatbot for customer service. And so when we go back to what Ricardo was talking about earlier, where when we think of the promise of AI and ML, it really comes down to key themes around efficiency, effectiveness, and responsiveness. If we have an intelligent chatbot that can help us from everything from 
product discovery to evaluation to purchase to post purchase support and all the stages in between we really have technology that can help us not only drive more efficiency in our organization but also more more effectiveness in our organization in terms of delivering for the customer the information that they're looking for in terms of increasing their satisfaction with with their experience i think we've all had challenging customer service experiences with with humans and very basic chatbots and and so that that whole area of chatbots which has been exploding for many years now i think is only going to get is only going to get better and more powerful the the other application then again switching gear is moving from generative ai for customer service into generative ai for marketing and personalization is is going to come from you know some of the applications such as jarvis or ad creative that are really all about content creation and again it can be based on text it can be based on different inputs that are provided as content parameters but the whole concept there being that by using artificial intelligence we can create content for marketing and engagement purposes where previously we had to rely on a you know human-based internal or agency team to, to create that content and the reality is that by leveraging artificial intelligence techniques we can reduce cycle time and we can reduce expense by over 90 percent and the opportunity that that provides marketers is is incredible in terms of their ability to create content respond and engage with their customers in real time with personalization in terms of color tonality product character content offer inclusion all of those variables that are either going to make a piece of content relevant or irrelevant so so a lot of the excitement over the last year really has been around generative ai that said i do think it's important to highlight that there's still plenty of value to be captured with older types like you know older types of artificial intelligence and machine learning you know talking about things like regression recommendation engines decision trees clustering techniques these have been around for decades and they're still not leveraged by you know many many companies let's say a large percentage of enterprise companies out there uh, to really drive you know the type of loyalty engagement personalization that uh, customers expect today from from their brands yeah, in fact, I do think the way you said, you know, chat GPT is very accessible because possibly many people on this webinar today have, you know, tried it one way or another. Um, I actually went to chat GPT this morning and I said, um, what are the loyalty marketing use cases for artificial intelligence? So basically the title of this webinar, and it wrote about one page worth of text with you know five sections you know talking about personalization predictive analytics um, operational efficiency and it looked like <laughs> it had copied 50 percent of the article that i published two or three months ago but i know that it did not study that data because the data sets that it was working on are from you know years earlier um, but the answer was extremely articulate and then there's a button at the bottom of the page that if you don't like the answer, you can regenerate the response. And so I did that and it came back with a, a different answer um, in real time that covered many of the different topics, you know, the, the top or most important topics, but in a different way. Um, and it felt like a real professional, you know, was mm -hmm. sharing this insight with me about opportunities for AI in loyalty. Um, you also touched on some of the main use cases for AI and loyalty, and, and I would categorize those 
around you know pricing and promotions especially if you take into consideration that you know many retailers travel companies have um, inventory some of that inventory might become distressed uh, you might even know a month in advance that a certain number of rooms in a hotel are not going to get booked and so if artificial intelligence can help you understand what's the right pricing to fill those rooms or with this combination of pricing and a targeted offer to this subset of customers, we can probably fill those rooms. I think there's an, a lot of opportunity around you know, optimization of pricing and promotions. The second one would be related to customer insight and personalization. So you touched on the point that you know, a human can personalize an email or a marketing offer for one person or five people or 10 people in a day, but a person cannot personalize a thousand emails in a day, or even a team of you know 25 people cannot personalize individual marketing officers for offers for tens of thousands of consumers. But AI potentially could personalize each touch point or marketing communication with the customer for a hundred million people in a day. And so, so I think there's a lot of opportunity around, you know, customer insight and personalization. And then the third main area is around streamlined operations, you know, and avoiding problems. And so AI could be monitoring sort of the pulse of the business or what's going on in the company at any moment in time and potentially identify um, bad situations that might be coming up like fraud or particular attacks or, um, or a system that's not operating at full performance and allow the company to be much more proactive in addressing that you know, requirement or opportunity before it creates a bad experience for customers. So anyway, Ricardo, let's go back to you. you know, carrying on with this you know, conversation, I mean, the AI obviously requires a lot of data to feed into you know, the model. Um, and so how do we go about identifying which data is the right data to feed into the algorithms um, and then how do we make sure that that type of data remains available in an operational phase? So not just training the algorithms up front, but also, you know, executing on the data in a day-to-day -day environment. Right. So first of all, I, I thought the discussion, uh, just now between you and, and Anthony was very, uh, very valid and, and, and timely in, in terms of this question as well. Because when I look at all the excitement and hype around generative AI uh, and, and all the sexy things people like to do and play with it, is that we, we tend to lose touch a little bit on what's underneath. And uh, I was very happy that Anthony also mentioned that we, we still need to look at the more traditional, conventional applications of AI, which have a lot of value. And if you look at the airline industry, where adoption is still extremely low, there's still a lot of potential to to apply AI in uh, using those those techniques, um, but underneath it all is indeed is is data. So we have a lot of challenges when it comes to data because over eighty percent of the projects in in AI fail in the execution around data and or electronic information. So. Um, I often come across people and teams that uh, want to touch on AI. Uh, they think of um, well, what, what appeals interesting to uh, to implement, 
they don't know, they don't necessarily think on what they really need in order to have a a goal centric uh, or end model and what they need in order to go into that so what i mean is that the complexity today is a lot more than it was even a year ago or 10 years ago and the complexity really is in the volume of data which is is exponential every day it's also in all the different formats that are used by different systems and different channels uh, it's coming in from more channels as well including mobile and and even these days in terms of computer vision like ai cameras um, there's also an incredible increase in velocity of incoming traffic and the fact that we, we're mixing static data which could be historic or it could be yesterday's data with real-time information for example from shopping that's coming in and we haven't necessarily uh, upskilled everybody in an organization or within airlines or hotels, for instance, to deal with all this complexity. So very often um, I go back and, and recognize that even their purpose isn't necessarily that obvious. So when people start realizing they could start collecting data in initially it was in local databases and then it was in, in data warehouses and now in data lake houses used by AI, they get all very excited about the data but oftentimes we need to necessarily rein it in around a core goal or purpose and break it down into more palatable uh, bite-sized pieces. So I also often find that we don't actually need that many dimensions or attributes to build something that has predictability that's quite valid. Uh, in, in some cases, using six um, dimensions <clears throat> or attributes can actually perform better than using 60. So very often people confuse causality with correlation. So when I say that 80% of the challenges are uh, in the data and identifying the links that help us solve end models with individual models, which are essentially are just a set of rules, it's not entirely true. It's really the people, Chuck, that represent the biggest challenge around data because A, we need access to it, B, we need to create new relationships with data uh, that we are not uh, haven't seen in the past that we were not used to. And that's actually a psychological thing that is new to the work and the tasks at hand today. So the other thing is data can be used to drive specific agendas. And in fact, it can be used and chosen selectively or selectively assigned to produce biased recommendations. So in a way, I often say that you have to be careful not to use data uh, so that it uh, becomes political, which is, is uh, possible. So this is all part of the governance in, uh, in AI. But anyway, a lot of words of caution cleansing part is the essential part of it. And even for that, actually today you can use AI solutions that help you expedite a little bit how you uh, cleanse data coming in from, uh, from different sources. But the opportunities of working uh, with data are enormous. The, the scale always tips to the positive. Um, but it means we have uh, all this powerful computing available to us to ask the right questions, which is the foundation. And these questions are, what are we really trying to solve? What kind of or type of information do we really need to solve it? Um, but also, what are the sources of this information? 
is the purpose of what we are trying to to solve goal centric like is it is, is it even necessary or there's a lot of value in it uh, and in fifth place um which people are involved in democratizing this information by that by which i mean access to it and an open access to it and in the last place is is there a place where we can actually cleanse all this data um, so that we can use it to begin with and in the work i'm involved in chuck I can say that most organizations are struggling with this very last point. Yeah, so that kind of sounds like you're describing the organization needs a framework, you know, in order to, you know, first of all, ask good questions and then set up the systems to, you know, provide the necessary support. And in fact, Anthony, that reminds me of a previous conversation you and I had where you were describing a framework related to AI that helped organizations interpret the data and predict and come up with predictive outcomes. Um, could you describe that framework for the audience? Because I found it quite fascinating. Yeah, yeah, happy to do that. And I, I think it's a good build on what Ricardo was just talking about. You know, he, he called out that 80% of, of projects fail because of because of the data and what happens on the underlying data side. And, and then within that, he elaborated on, you know, the five V's of, of big data, the volume of data, the veracity of data, the variety of data, the value of data, and then and then the velocity. And each one of those has its own element of complexity. And the you know the reality of artificial intelligence and machine learning, the reality of data science is that 50% of it is just data cleansing. You know, it's just getting the data in a place where you can make sense of it. And so what what I've uncovered in you know my years of working in this space is that if we're looking at artificial intelligence and, and machine learning applications um, for the use cases that you know we're we're specifically talking talking about, which are going to be more around you know goal seeking. Um, we're, we're we're looking at a framework that will have five steps, and the first two are all about the data. So step one is is building the foundation, just like a house. It all starts with data integration and data harmonization. And so going back to the variety of data that we're sucking in, we're probably going to have data coming from multiple first-party data sources. We are possibly also going to have data coming from second party data sources and even third party data sources. So at the end of the day, to Ricardo's point, you're going to have a lot of data coming from internal systems and external systems. They're going to be in different uh, file formats and none of it's going to line up. And so the very first step is to integrate it, bring it all into the same environment and then harmonize it so that we are removing duplicates. Each of the rows has a similar format when we're looking at the contents of each individual column, very basic stuff, very basic data hygiene, data cleansing uh, steps. So step one is building the foundation. Step two then is transforming that data, taking that raw cleansed data and transforming it, turning it into turning feature engineering, taking feature engineering to create new synthetic data sets that will sit alongside the raw data so that the algorithms can make more sense of the, the data that's being fed into, um, into them. Now, this is a step that's going to be particularly valuable for supervised learning techniques, which you know is, is frankly a lot of the old guard that I was talking about earlier. 
when we're thinking about decision trees and regressions and, and other things like that, those are supervised learning techniques. It'll be less relevant for unsupervised learning techniques, but in a lot of day-to-day -day applications, it's those you know dusty old supervised learning techniques that are gonna provide the most value for, for business. They're generally faster, they're generally cheaper, and overall they are they are highly performant and, and more likely to, to run at scale. And so when we're talking about feature engineering, when we're talking about creating these synthetic data sets, it can be as simple as looking at a you know, transactional receipt and seeing that a customer purchased coffee at 8.05 in the morning and tagging it or classifying that as a breakfast day part tag. You now have a new column with a feature that's been engineered that gives the algorithm something new to work with. If a customer has bought a pair of slim fit chinos that has a category and a product assigned to it, but you might also give it a, a you know, use case of business casual. If we have a traveler who's booked a you know, transatlantic trip three days before the travel, you might classify that as a last minute traveler. And so all of these, all of these different behaviors that you as a marketer might think differentiate one customer from another or, or behavior in one way versus another, that's all part of a feature engineering data set that will feed into the algorithms to then help goal seek when you're getting to an optimization stage. And that in and of itself is a great illustration of a human being in the loop working alongside the process. So step one's foundation, step two is transformation, data transformation, and then step three is when you start to get into the fun stuff that everyone loves talking about, which is the prediction. And this is where we'll have a number of algorithms, different types of algorithms that are running to try and predict customer behavior based on all the information that we have on the customer and similar customers. How do we expect this customer to behave in the future? When do we expect the customer to behave? And what can we do to convert them with different types of stimulus? So prediction is kind of the frontier that, that uh, you know, a lot of companies are setting as their benchmark. Step four then is simulation. And this is for those that are really, really on the, on the front end. And simulation is thinking about, okay, if I do convert a customer, I do get a customer to, to behave, what is going to be the full effect of, of, of their purchase? And again, this is all with a, a generally, you know, predicting customer behavior lens, but will they buy, what channel will they buy the product in? Will they buy just the product or will they buy the product and attach other products? Will they buy it at full price? Will they buy it at discount? And, and when you think about the number of different permutations that you have to deal with in terms of all the different types of stimulus that you might present to a customer and then all of the different behaviors associated with each stimulus, you have a huge data set of potential ways in which you can engage with a customer. And as, and as a result of that, you then have a huge number of, of ways in which that customer can affect your business positively or negatively, which is where the fifth step comes in, which is all around optimization, where a business will leverage a whole new set of algorithms to optimize how they engage with their customer base based on the goals that they're trying to achieve. So again, going back to Ricardo's point around a lot of work in artificial intelligence and machine learning being around goal seeking. What are we trying to do with a business? Are we trying to grow the top line? Are we trying to improve the bottom line? Are we trying to maintain those and provide higher responsiveness because we expect further benefits down the road? So uh, five stages again, foundation, transformation, prediction, simulation, 
and optimization. Yeah, so if an organization embraces that framework, then most people or most business units or departments should be able to come to the same conclusion, which kind of <laughs> reminds me, um, you know, every day I talk to, you know, loyalty professionals across a number of different programs, and it seems like for decades, the loyalty team objectives have been at odds with the revenue management team objectives. And so there's this constant ongoing argument or fight between revenue management and loyalty um, based on their primary goals and objectives. But the truth is they're all focused on, you know, driving loyalty with customers, having satisfied customers, not frustrating customers, you know, optimizing, you know, the, the revenue based on available inventory and all of those things. So it seems to me that AI should be able to help remove these internal disputes about what's the best course of action for the organization in order to maximize return on investment. Anyway, Anthony, back to you. Um, you know, you work for Cognitive, um, which is obviously a very large loyalty technology company. And that is helping brands, you know, build, you know, closer and deeper, more meaningful relationships with their customers. Can you get, share any insights about what Cognitive is doing today with AI yeah. in order to drive results? Yeah, yeah, happy to do that. So, so as I think you mentioned, Cognitive is a, you know, global loyalty technology uh, and services provider. We have enterprise clients across across the world. Uh, within our platform today, we manage hundreds of millions of, of customer IDs across a number of different programs. Our history is, is as data stewards, working on behalf of our clients. Privacy and security are paramount to everything that we do, uh, which is increasingly important in a world where we have new regulations coming out almost every day and increasing customer interest in what data is being collected and, and how that data is, is being used. And so that's all done, obviously, in, in the context of loyalty program management, engagement, and marketing activation. Uh, as we look forward, our focus is really expanding uh, so that we can lead on prescriptive and uh, predictive analytics capabilities within, you know, within the loyalty construct. So moving from loyalty as a program management capability to loyalty as an outcome across all channels, and across all customers, really bringing the power of one-to-one of -one marketing uh, at scale, which, which uh, you know, we, we've discussed extensively. And so there are two, two key capabilities that we're building in our platform to help us get there. The, the first is what we call internally our data hub. And the, the data hub builds on those first two phases. Of, of the framework that I talked about earlier, where we integrate all of the first, second, and third party data, we harmonize it, and then we transform it. And we transform it into something called a customer genome. And the customer genome is a very granular view on a customer by customer basis of how that customer is engaging with a brand on a real-time basis. It's a, it's a longitudinal understanding of that, that customer's interaction and how it's changed over time. So there's a lot of investment going into the data hub right now, which provides us with that foundational and transformational layer. And then sitting on top of it, we have the cognition engine, which is really where all of our artificial intelligence and machine learning algorithms run in, in, in Symfony to you know, generate, uh, generate activation files 
that help our clients better better engage their customers. And so cognition is really nothing more than a multi-algorithm decision engine to prescriptively engage customers on a real-time basis. And so those two components, Data Hub and Cognition, uh, are the foundational capabilities that will power a suite of new products that we have coming out later this year. So the first being Pulse, which will launch in, in Zurich in a few weeks, followed by Ignite and, and Amplify. And, and again, the theme behind each of those products is very much along the lines of what we've discussed so far in this webinar. It's about getting more real-time. It's about getting more granular. It's about getting one-to-one -one, uh, personalization at scale. And, and so I think we have a great case study here on screen. Hopefully everyone can, can see the screen. So this is, this is from a client that, uh, that I worked with a few years ago. They are a, um, they're a retail brand. Uh, they had an established loyalty program at the time that we engaged them. And you know the, the vision was to deploy an experience intelligence decision engine that powers a single integrated and individualized customer experience across all channels, programs, and touch points. And we had a roadmap that we established with them. I think going back to just very briefly, the point that Ricardo made earlier around most, most of these types of uh, projects failing, it's really important to stage gate them and have defined milestones with defined timelines as you go about an AI or ML adoption journey, because otherwise you can sink a lot of money and waste a lot of time without any proof points. And so this very first slide that we see here is, is an illustration of how we broke that out with, with our client as we were rolling out some of the new capabilities that we had built for them. So step one was all about us uh, developing and deploying version two of, of our artificial and, and machine learning engine. And, and that was then going to move into uh, a generative content phase. So if, if, we, move to the, if we move to the next slide, um, I'll, I'll give a little more context on what specifically we, are, we were working with them on. So they're an established brand. They had an established loyalty program with tens of millions of members. They had a pretty good read on the performance of that program. And so they had they had a number of base communications associated with that program. So birthday messaging, anniversary messaging, things like that, you know, tier tier notifications, point notifications, things like that. What you would expect from most loyalty program management providers. That was their what they would call base communications. Layered on top of that, they would have CRM communications where they would have a marketing team that would define campaigns and deploy campaigns for specific products. If it was like a seasonal product launch, or if they were promoting you know, another product in, in their menu, new store openings, things like that. So they had base communications, they had CRM communications, again, very common with retail brands. And then what they asked us to help them with was a third layer of communications, which was labeled one-to-one -one at scale. And this was really, taking the capabilities that, that we could bring to engage customers on an always on basis and really optimizing their promotional budget, their offer budget uh, to drive specific business outcomes, which they would define in advance. And so we worked with a promotional budget of around 30 to $40 million a year. And, and basically the entire intent of that was to engage customers to drive incrementality for the business. So with that lens, Obviously, there's going to be an interest on, sorry, if we go back with that lens, if, if there's going to be an interest on redemption, how much redemption can you drive? What is the discount associated with that redemption? So if you are 
effective, going back to Ricardo's first name, you are driving higher rates of redemption. And if you are efficient, you are driving uh, redemption at a lower discount, which means you're subsidizing incremental purchase at a lower rate than you were otherwise. And, and so we deployed version two and we compared it to version one. And, and what we saw is that we're able to increase redemption rates by over 160%. We were able to decrease discounts by nearly 40%. And so off the bat, looking at version two of the model versus version one of the model, we were significantly, we were able to significantly increase the efficiency and the effectiveness of performance. And I think for context, while it's not on the slide, it, it's probably worth highlighting that just version one of the model was already three to four times more performant than the manual marketing driven campaigns that were being driven within base communications and CRM communications. So when you look at the totality of the value being driven by the artificial intelligence and machine learning models that would sit in cognition, you're looking at roughly a 10x improvement in, in terms of both efficiency and effectiveness, which is, you know, which is pretty powerful for technology that you know, even then was, was, um, was in its infancy. Uh, if we go to the next slide then, we took, we took those results um, we had another metric. We had another metric that that we tracked as part of our work with them, which was the sales to discount ratio. And essentially, that's a measure of the volume of incremental sales being generated relative to the discount that's in, that's invested in in generating that sale. And so, with version one of the model, we were at a 4.6, which again was already multiple times higher than everything else that they were doing. And with version two, we were able to increase that by 43%. So again, that's more of a, more of an effectiveness metric. Um, given that that both versions were real time, activating on a daily basis, that box was that box was checked. Um, but when we took those results and we we ex we extrapolated them to the total business. What, what we identified with the client is that the size of the prize, the total opportunity for them was over $300 million, which at the time was somewhere between eight to 10% in terms of top line growth. And when you have a multi-billion dollar business, a global business and a relatively stable industry, and you have the ability to turn on a technology that can drive that much incrementality with very little investment, it's, it's a very powerful, it's a very powerful story. Um, so that's just you know one one case study uh, that that I think illustrates well the type of work that we're doing with our clients and the type of work we want to continue to focus on with our clients. So hopefully hopefully that was helpful. Okay. Yeah. So I guess a lot of people in the audience might be thinking, how much did this cost? Which is the last question I'd like to ask. But before that. Ricardo, you touched on a really important point earlier, and it's one that I read in one of the chapters of your book, and it's related to organizational change that needs to take place in order for an organization to embrace these types of advanced technologies. Can you elaborate a little bit more on the organizational requirements involved in implementing AI? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks, Chuck. So yes, AI has a, a significant impact on organization, organization design, and organization design can have a significant impact on the uh, effectiveness of or execution of AI. So <clears throat> here's my experience and, and perspective on it. And it's also the reason I decided to dedicate an entire chapter to uh, organization and AI. So 
AI has the potential to build bridges and automate tasks across silos or departments, or even align divisions like operations and commercial, for example, within commercial like loyalty, pricing, revenue management, as, as you and Anthony have also touched on. Now, it means that when enterprise end models are deployed, so this goes across an entire workflow of an enterprise, it cuts across all of those other smaller existing organizations that within uh, airlines at least tend to be very linear and assembly line style. Now, this creates a lot of friction because the people that support conventional processes will not easily find their new value added role unless they upskill and evolve with that enterprise. And this friction, by the way, is not only process related, the main friction is in the fact that we are more and more automating cognitive functions of people. So that's the thinking and problem solving. We are impacting the very core psyche and identity of people if they perceive that what we are replacing is actually their thinking and problem solving skills with machines. So when an airline or a hospitality company is looking at the potential for end models for the enterprise, it can also use the AI work streams, if you, if you will, as an indicative tool to help change organization design to execute better. It's essentially allowing upskilled people along aligned new workflows using new um, technology that underpins it, being enterprise AI. So therefore, if you do it this way, <clears throat> AI can be used in organization design as well. And with that, the final straw is that AI organization design actually necessitates different approaches with people. It also dictates more help from applied behavioral and organizational psychologists. And it's exactly for that reason that I started specializing in the triangular relationship between enterprise performance improvement, AI, and organization design. Okay. Um and I do not see any questions. So if anybody wants to submit questions through chat, you know, we're happy to try and address those, but with seven minutes to go, um, let's come back to this cost issue. So Ricardo, in your experience, what type of, you know, ranges in cost should an organization be thinking that it will take in order to implement, you know, simple solutions, medium solutions, or complex solutions, or what are the other dimensions that impact cost? It's a very difficult question to answer, Chuck, because um, most vendors, uh, they do have standardized depending on the size and the number of users onto the platforms. So I actually find it uh, one of the most difficult questions to answer, Chuck. Okay, um, so let's go to Anthony, see if he has an opinion on this. Yeah. I don't know if you can reveal sort of the magnitude of cost was involved in, you know, demonstrating to that company that they could realize another 300 million in sales. Yeah, so in the context of 300 million, it probably doesn't sound like a lot. Um, you know, from a zero based budgeting context, it probably does sound like more. Uh, at, at the end of the day, if you're going to try and do this in house or if you're going to work with a partner, um, you're going to need to hire data scientists, data engineers, ML ops engineers, project managers. Like you're going to need to put together a cross-functional team. And I think Ricardo could probably speak to that better than than I can. And so the the investment's not insignificant. I would say it's 
probably over you know a million dollars if if you have a specific project a specific use case in mind that's trying to try and solve for and i think that's that's the place to start the place to start is what are we trying to solve and there are all sorts of again we discuss this there are great problems that can be solved with ai and ml it could be pricing it could be promotions it could be forecasting it could be personalization it could be fraud each business will have to decide which one's the most important one for them. But once you know what that goal is, then you know going from there to build a team. I think that an in-house team could make a lot of progress with you know a one to three million dollar budget in a relatively short period of time. So you do need some money. You don't need you know tens of millions of dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars. You just need focus and and a cross-functional team with the right skill sets and access to to the data and the domain experts to to build a solution. So if if you're going to you know put me up against the wall and ask me for a number, I would say probably one to three is a good is a good starting point. Um, you know, if you can't prove your worth with one to three, you, you probably don't deserve five or ten. OK, um, I actually asked chat GPT this morning how much it would cost to implement AI. And the answer was somewhere between two thousand and several hundred thousand dollars. Um, now, maybe that's, you know, the technology trying to sell itself in a clever way. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, AI is, is certainly on a maturity curve, you know, and, and we've all probably seen maturity curves where, you know, over time, the technology gets cheaper, the, the packaging of the technology by vendors becomes easier to implement, easier to manage, easier to extract, you know, intelligence. And therefore, you know, costs go down over time. Simplicity, you know, increases over time. And so it might be, you know, for a lot of organizations, they, they need to maybe start doing some experimenting with AI in the short term in order to gain knowledge. But, you know, they don't necessarily allocate significant budgets to this for three or five years when the cost arguably would have come down by 50%. And if we look at the way AI has been used for fraud management over the last five years, uh, the complexity was probably too great for most organizations to implement themselves a fraud management solution. So they work with third parties that are monitoring, you know, click behavior and whatever um, IP addresses and all types of things like that. But I, but that technology has matured tremendously in the last three or four years. Fraud rates have gone down dramatically by companies that have deployed this technology. So I have to believe that in a few years, that the technology might be mature enough that a company could even bring it in-house and no longer be dependent on a vendor. And so, you know, thinking realistically about the future, you know, their companies should be thinking about what's the right time for me to attack specific problems. Um, and, and certainly, if you can generate 300 million in incremental sales, investing 3 million in that is a pretty easy business decision. Um, but for medium or smaller companies, you know, how mature does that technology have to get, or what type of vendor packaging of the technology needs to exist before medium and smaller companies can embrace AI, you know, for more tactical um, initiatives. So anyway, with Two minutes to go, Ricardo. Did you want to make a final comment? Yeah, I don't know if you have additional questions. Otherwise, I will chip in in the end. Okay. Did you have another? Did you have another yeah, question? No, no. Go ahead. I mean, one of my friends, no, Richard. I, I, I was, made, one of my friends, Richard, saying, made a really, a really useful comment 
about yeah. the legal and compliance issues. So I encourage everybody to look at the chat, you know, in case this is relevant to your business. But anyway, go ahead, Ricardo. Yeah, that's that's all part of ethical AI, which is uh, also a chapter that I dedicated uh, a, a lot to. Now, I just wanted to chip in that I, I worked with uh, with airlines where we started off with two data scientists. So when Chad uh, GPT comes up with a cost as low as 2000, you won't get a data scientist for that, as we all know. Um, but in some cases, some airlines ha <clears throat> have a small team of, let's say, 10 data scientists that are dedicated to the entire organization and not to a specific unit or business unit. So there, there are different approaches that are taken, but the majority of the cost is in working with data management tools and AI platforms, obviously. And those costs can be significant, particularly because the intention is to use it at scale. So, but a lot of vendors are available to work a, on a small project basis and are very flexible to start somewhere. But if you're looking at adding value with data scientists, um, I also find that vendors can, can help structure some of the initial projects because let's be honest, the very, the very starting point is to learn how to deal with data and to start playing with that. And so that doesn't have to be uh, that expensive. So there's always an inexpensive way of, uh, of kickstarting and you need to build your cases anyway. So um, I would say you can start today and uh, it doesn't have to cost an arm and a leg. Okay, well, thank you. So anyway, we've reached the top of the hour. Um, I've found the conversation fascinating. I hope everybody else does, and it gives you food for thought. So now let me turn back to Anastasia to close the meeting. Thank you, Chuck. Um, this concludes our webinar today. So a very, very big thank you to our panelists, uh, Chuck, Ricardo, and Anthony for sharing your insights with us. And thank you for our audience for listening in. We do hope that you enjoyed the discussion and please feel free to reach out to us if you would like to get in touch with any of the panelists or if you would like us to continue the discussion on loyalty and AI. Global Loyalty Organization, we're planning to host a series of expert roundtable discussions on loyalty throughout 2023. So our next roundtable is going to look at loyalty during recession and inflation next month. So please go to globalloyalty.org to subscribe to our uh, news, uh, weekly newsletter or follow us on LinkedIn. JLO is a professional association for companies and loyalty experts. We're continuously growing our network to build a global community of loyalty professionals. So if you are interested in becoming a member of JLO, please contact us through our website. We look forward to welcoming you soon again at one of our webinars. Thank you and have a good evening or nice day wherever you are. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Ciao. Thank you. Bye.